Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. Today's guest has a lot of experience, and I'm excited to nerd out and talk about all the stuff she's won over her career. So she grew up playing club for Aces and Dinos in Alberta. She played college for Medicine Hat and transferred to Trinity Western, where she was a Canada West champion, a CIS champion, and Libero of the Year. And before I skip over Medicine Hat, she was also a first-team All-Star there and Rookie of the Year. She's played three years professionally, and she's been with our national team for eight seasons, so we're excited to talk about all the things that have happened with our national team. Please welcome to the show, Kristen Monks. Kristen, thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me on. So one thing I'm learning about Alberta is you guys are multi-sport athletes, it feels like. So when you grew up, what made you want to choose volleyball? Because it sounds like you guys have a lot of opportunities to play any sport you want to, really, in certain areas, right? Yeah, definitely. I come from a pretty athletic family, and my parents coached me in a lot of different sports, like coming from a small town. They really just put us in anything we could, I think, kind of just to keep us busy. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, in my grade 10, my parents kind of sat us down and asked us what we would rather like focus our time on. And it kind of, for me, came down between hockey, basketball, and volleyball. And it's kind of always been volleyball. Uh, I, my whole family played so, yeah, my parents played at UFC and then my two older sisters at UFC as well. So I've kind of always leaned towards volleyball. Nice, yeah. nice. And yeah. and looking at a map before the show, you're not actually that close to Calgary. So when you chose to play for Dinos, what went into that decision? Because obviously you're going to have to be doing homework in the car and stuff like that, right? It was a little bit of a trip for you to get to practice? It was. In our my grade 11 year, I was pretty fortunate because I have a twin sister. So we were able to make it work where one of us would drive and we'd either be like changing on the way to like changing in the car on the <laughs> way to Calgary. That hour actually gave us some time to keep up with our schoolwork. And <laughs> uh, yeah, so we actually just kind of flip flopped back and forth who would drive. It was pretty entertaining, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. And one thing as an outsider, I'm always interested. So with the club team being affiliated with the university, was there talks of you going to Calgary after you graduated? Or when were you looking at at post-secondary options? Like, is it something that comes up? Or are they kind of encouraging that you can go anywhere you want, that you're not required? They don't expect you to be a Calgary Dino if they're recruiting you or anything like that. Um, at that time, it kind of felt like we, like the normal thing to do was to go to UFC at our age. I think it was encouraged wherever you could like get a spot or continue playing was to go there with my parents and both my older sisters going to UFC. I think my twin and I, we would, we would want to go to UFC, but there really wasn't that option. Like I wasn't getting offers from a lot of universities, to be honest, um, out of a club. My sister, Lauren, she was getting some bigger offers. And there was another setter at the time uh, who got offered to go to UFC. So I think for my sister, it was a little disappointing. But but yeah, I actually wasn't getting a lot of offers. And that's kind of why I chose to go to Medicine Hat. So yeah, didn't get a ton of university offers, which was kind of disappointing at the time. 
Now, I think it was more common at a certain point for athletes to go to college and then transfer to university. It might have been happening just maybe like a, a cycle before you. But how did you find going from club to college? And then eventually when you transferred to university, like is there a, a skill level jump every time you switched, uh, switched teams there? Uh, yeah, there was for sure. Coming out of high school, like I always wanted to be CIS. Like I just wanted to be playing at the highest level. But when I wasn't getting offers, I was like, what am, like, what am I going to do? And it wasn't like in my family, everybody had gone to play CIS, like highest level of volleyball in Canada. And so I was the only one in my family where I was like, okay, what's my other option? So I had Ben Heinrichs reach out to me and he's like, how can we make this happen? Like, how can you come play college and then still go CIS so I kind of like right off the bat told them like my goals was I only want to come play for a year and then I'll do whatever I can to be on a CIS team and he's like okay like let's make this happen and so like I worked my butt off and I was like only a year that's what I would say it was like only a year in college and then I want to go play university and then I absolutely loved it uh, being in medicine had and I met a ton of wicked people there so I was like okay maybe I do want to stay one more year (laughs) (laughs) and yeah I just got a lot of playing time and I was working really hard um, in medicine hat to kind of make that possible to go to university in my second year at medicine hat I started getting I started reaching out to a few universities and then there was a couple that knew that I was interested so um, Brandon University was one of like the top ones that was really pushing to uh, get me to come there and I was pretty much set on going there and then I actually wanted to go to Trinity just to play with my twin sister and then she there actually wasn't a spot so Trinity was like sorry no we don't have a spot I was like, ah, dang. So I was like set on going to Brandon. And then Nationals, my second year of college, uh, Ryan Hofer comes up to me and he's like, uh, he's like, we have a spot. Like somebody has uh, just like quit, is leaving, and we need a libero. And I was like, nope. Like, I'm not coming. You are close to that door for me. <laughs> but, you, like, I think there was a little bit of shock, but I was like, I'm going to Brandon. It was kind of, like, set on it. And then my twin was like, what if, like, what if you did come to Trinity? Just, like, think about it. She's <laughs> At the time, she's like, you could get a free trip coming to see me if you come on a recruiting visit. <laughs> and I was like, true we'll use this <laughs> like i'll come on a recruiting visit and i'll come visit you <laughs> so that was kind of the reason i reconsidered trinity it was kind of just like a trip out to see <laughs> lauren but uh yeah so kind of going back to that i was kind of set on brandon and my coach at medicine had bench was good friends with Lee Carter and they kind of had like similar coaching philosophy. So I was like set on that and then kind of just like opened another door going back to Trinity and 
it was really tough to make that uh, decision. But going from college to university, it was a big jump of playing for sure. And yeah, I kind of, yeah, it was, yeah, big jump. But at the same time, it was like always a goal of mine to go play university. So I was kind of doing whatever I could. And I just had that mentality where I was kind of up for a new new challenge. So what happened on this recruiting trip? Like they finally get you on campus at Trinity and it sounds like Ryan, his name's come up on a bunch of shows, obviously a very strong coach, but it sounds like he's very honest, right? Like he told you at the start, we didn't have a spot. And now he approaches you and says, you do have a spot. So it sounds like the communication was always honest, even if it wasn't what you wanted to hear. Right. So when they finally have you on campus, what swung you to then become a Trinity Western Spartan? Uh, Yeah, it came down to first, I had to have that conversation with Lauren, my sister of like coming into her kind of her atmosphere or like her environment I didn't want to kind of step on her toes um, and then once my coach Benge in Medicine Hat met with Ryan that was also like a key factor of me going there was like they did also have similar coaching philosophies and so that was also a big uh, turning point for me was kind of the friendship between Benj and Ryan where I felt comfortable and I knew that I wasn't just gonna have to switch everything that I was learning with Benj yeah that was a big one getting to know a little bit more about Ryan and kind of his coaching philosophies so once I yeah kind of made that decision there then it was kind of between like just chatting with my sister and if we wanted to finish off our careers together. Nice, nice. And for our listeners, obviously college gets like a second tier reputation sometimes. And, and I'll admit I coach it. It is a different level, but you can still be a national team athlete and professional athlete, which you've proven going through college. So I'm wondering for any of our athletes considering starting in college and maybe transferring to university, like logistically, did everything work out? Like, did your credits transfer well? Did you get into the program you wanted? Like, the, the on-court stuff is cool. I'm just wondering if we could sidetrack for a second and make sure that your studies overlap just for anyone considering like following your pathway here. Uh, yeah, for sure they did. Um, I kind of, going into college, I knew I wanted to go play university. And so I kind of made sure I went into a program that was able to transfer to a university. So actually I did a, it was a kinesiology transfer program which like all of my credits transferred into university as well. Nice, nice. And what was it like when you got on the ground at Trinity? Because I think obviously they were competitive, but I feel like when you started your CIS career, that was right when UBC was on their run, right? Like I think the the Shanice era and a couple other players like Kyla, they had gone on this run and maybe won five or six in a row. So what was the mood around Canada West at that time? Was it battling and thinking you could win or was everybody thinking like oh UBC's got it again uh there is definitely some rivalry when I came into Trinity like UBC and which was funny because coming into my third year and having having playing experience I didn't feel like that same rivalry it was definitely Ryan Hofer is was very good at creating like this championship like mentality like we were doing things off the court we were building kind of like this 
uh, atmosphere on our team where we were doing everything we could to win a championship. And that my first year coming into Trinity was, I think we got a bronze medal at nationals. So we had lost, it was like a pretty like heartbreaking, I, I forget who we, actually have kind of bad memory, but <laughs> I forget who we lost to in the semifinal, but it kind of just like gave us this chip on our shoulder that that next year we weren't, we weren't going to lose. And then that next year we lost, I think we lost in the quarterfinal to Dalhousie and it was such a bad feeling. Like we, that was my fourth year. I was kind of uh, with Alicia Perrin and a few other girls. It was just like this mentality going into our fifth year. It was like, we're doing everything we can to win this year. Like we're not going out with a loss. So yeah, we had a leadership team and Ryan, I think changed a few things up that we were kind of discussing or discussing as a team of what we wanted this last year to look like. And so we didn't kind of go in. U of A was at that time, like our bigger, like the team that we were battling with all year. It was kind of, once we had beat UBC once, we just had in our heads was like, oh, like that's nothing. Like, even though they'd won previous years, it's like, oh, well, no big deal. It kind of gave us like a little more confidence when we started beating them. Nice. And I'm, I'm curious if you could give us a couple of examples when you talk about that championship mentality. Like we've had people like Tori Gorrell at Penn State, like when she lifts weights on a Tuesday, they're talking about their lifting weights to win a national championship. And they're like connected to that goal every single day and every single action. And then there's like an opposite side that says, you know, if, if we just do our best every single day, the process, like the results will take care of themselves. So I'm curious with your style and Ryan's style, were you guys talking about winning CIS every day? Is it written on the whiteboard or is it more of like a process driven thing? Cause I'm learning there's no right or wrong answer, but there is like a clear path that teams seem to take on which side they kind of fall on. Yeah. We were at the time having like mentality of climbing the mountain and like there was like different steps along the way that we had to do to reach it. And so we had like the goals of, how we wanted to come out of the league like each game was like another step in our process to like that championship and so we would kind of uh zoom in or zoom out a little bit and it was the um so we had to like win this match to reach um one goal and then like the it was always just like one thing after the other is what we were focusing on but still having that championship was like the final goal. Like that's what we were doing to reach it. And so it was in the classroom, like, are you getting, are you spending enough class time in the classroom that you can, when you step in the gym, you're focused in a practice. And so we were kind of all supporting each other. Like I'm pretty sure there was times where it was like, okay, like if you, we need to study more, let's have like a team study session or it was kind of like a buddy system, like holding each other accountable, like getting into the gym. Um, yeah. So that was kind of like step-by-step, step, like are we doing everything we can on and off the court? Nice. And would you celebrate those moments when they came up? Like when you win a Canada West championship, is that like, 
confirmation that you're going to win nationals or did you guys stop and really enjoy that and really kind of give the attention that deserves like that's a that's a hard conference to win so when you guys won it was it just kind of like on to the next thing or did you stop and really enjoy the moment of what you had achieved uh we for sure stopped and celebrated like our road each step like was not easy can west at can west final i think we actually think we were 10 and 0 potentially going out of the league and then can west the final it was at u of a and the final was i think we were down 3 0 no that yeah 2 0 sorry <laughs> Yeah, they won. <laughs> uh, we were down 2-0, and we had just watched the... Yeah, and we were down in the third. But we had just watched a movie called The Goonies. We were at the team dinner just before this match. We had watched this movie, and we were all just hanging out. And I don't know, have you seen that movie? Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> The mentality of like never say die, and so we were down, and I think it might have been like Alicia Perrin or somebody started being like, like never say die, like goodies never say die, <laughs> and we just like all started just like building on this like mentality of like okay, well like it's now or never, and it was just that feeling of we had lost before, and this is not how we want to go out. And all of a sudden, we just kind of started, like, building off each other. And it was just, I could literally just put myself back in that shoes of, like, we're doing everything that we can in this moment. And so it was, yeah, such a team effort. Like, everybody was so built, uh, so built, (laughs) or so poor, (laughs) so poor, everything that was going on. Um, like the people cheering on the bench and it was just such a team win that it was so cool and all of a sudden it was just like I think we were down in the third and we started coming back and everybody I can just remember was like we're gonna win this and I don't know what the switch was and we came back and we beat U of A in their home gym in five and it was the best like we just celebrated that moment was just like okay like this is it was yeah everything was that we had been working towards like that was like the best win was that accomplishment good shout out for goonies there i can only imagine you guys going into a timeout and somebody with the hey you guys and then everybody (laughs) fires up totally (laughs) i think it was it was like we almost just had to let go that we had just lost those two games just before that and it's like okay like <laughs> let's go goonies <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. to pull on your your point of everybody pulling for each other and everybody being engaged with that championship being in toronto i was lucky enough to watch a few games and as a coach obviously you're watching the court but everybody kind of had one eye on your bench and the reason i say that is is the box squad was fully engaged they were celebrating like they were emotionally attached to what's happening and if you watch other teams maybe somebody's got a clipboard and you can just tell with their body language they're not really into it where when that ball was in play your bench was fully like emotionally invested in everything that was happening right so was that something that was ever talked about or just the genuine presence that that team had that everybody was together For sure, it was that atmosphere that I kind of talked about that Ryan and, like, our leadership team had built. It was, like, we all 
knew that everybody had a role on that team. And it didn't matter if you were on the bench or on the court. You just felt that support and you knew that you were giving everything you had into that role that you were given. And if everybody could have been on that court, or it seemed like everybody was on that court because like we needed every person. Like as a libero coming on and off the court, I just felt it was that same feeling off the court when I got back on the court. And I think that was kind of that driving piece to winning a championship. Like everybody was just so bought into what was going on. Yeah, it was yeah, one of the best things uh, coming, yeah, as a libero especially, getting to kind of you kind of lose momentum when you get off that court. But when you come off the court and you just see everybody so engaged, it's like just keeps that motivation and that feeling going. So yeah. Nice. And do you remember much about the final? Because obviously a Can West rematch of playing in Alberta. And again, I, I didn't know many of the athletes because obviously it was a Trinity Alberta final. But to watch you duel it out with Jesse Niles, who that was the first time I got to watch her play in person. Just an awesome display of ball control by both the Barrows, right? So what did you remember about the final? Did you feel like it was here we go again? We're in for a fight with Alberta? Or did you guys have the confidence because you came back from 02 to take down Canada West? I think we did have a little bit of that confidence because we had done it before. But it was almost when we were down, it was like, what are we doing? Like, it, we're doing it again. Like, we need to switch this around, like, right now. And then it was kind of like that same switch that happened in Can West. We're like, we have done this before, but, like, a lot of, like, we have to change our mindset right now and we need to have that switch, like, now or else, like, it will be we will be so disappointed. Like, have you left everything on the court that you can? And it was like, no. And it was like that same mentality where it's like, you need to never say that. <laughs> and like, literally, we chanted that in a timeout. And like, that was like the switch. And it was, what is like, it's ridiculous, but at the same time, like it worked for our team at the time. And I just remember like that same feeling was like, we're not going to lose this. Like, we're going to win Canada West. And then I could just like feel like that Oh, there was just this energy throughout the same things throughout the whole bench. It was like everybody switched and it was like cheering and building off of each other. Like that excitement just kept building. Like we're going to win this. And there was nothing you could do. If it was a mistake, it was like whatever. Like next point, it's just like keeping on building on those moments. So I was like, yeah, it was a really cool feeling. Nice. And as you're along your personal journey, like obviously a first team all-star at Medicine Hat and your little barrel of the year with Trinity, when did pro creep into your mind? Because obviously a school like Trinity, both the men's and women's programs have sent players on to be professional athletes often, I'd say every year, right? So was there talks amongst you and Ryan about like hiring an agent or going pro or when did it click for you that that's something you wanted to do? It actually probably didn't click until my fifth year. Uh, going into trinity western uh leaving medicine hat i megan nosh and there was a couple other teammates of mine at medicine hat we decided we wanted to go to the team canada tryout and at the time i really didn't i wasn't sure if i was going to make it uh, megan nosh just had the mentality of like she's one of the hardest working athletes that i know and she was like going in like she was going to make the team. And so she, it was like, we get to train 
and practice with some of the top athletes in the world. And it's like, why wouldn't we go get that experience? And so I had no idea um, if I was going to make the team or not. And I think that summer, I we didn't make the team. I think we were both cut. Or actually, sorry, I think I yeah, maybe made the B team. But I was almost like blissfully ignorant when I got cut. And I got cut actually from a lot of teams. Like my first year of Team Alberta, I got cut and it was so disappointing at the time. But I didn't, I was surrounded and I kind of grew up with the family and support that it was like quitting wasn't really an option. Like it was like, okay, just kind of a shift in where I was going or like how I was going to get there. And so it was disappointing in that moment, but I'm like, we'll just go back to the drawing board and whatever coach I kind of, or I got the chance to uh, get information from or be coached by. I was like, okay, what can this person offer me? And so my going into that first tryout of Team Canada, I was like, oh, but this is awesome. Like, I'm going to work my butt off around some of the top athletes, and I'm going to take something away from that tryout. So no matter what, like, I'm, gonna, I'm going to benefit from this. And so I think I got cut that first year. And I was, but whatever Lupo said to me, I was like, okay, like, I'll work on that, and next year I'll come. And so it's kind of just like these – like at each tryout kind of like opened my mind to a new possibility. Like that first tryout, I was like, Oh, like I can be on the national team. And so like the next year I went back to another tryout and I made an extended tryout and I was like, wow, like this is awesome. I think I was there for a couple weeks and then I was released again. Like I got cut. And so like the, Next year, I went back and I like finally. I think I made like the B team at that time, and it was like such a step for my volleyball career. It was like getting to train alongside, like once in a while, some of the A team girls, and then uh, on the B team. And then I think my, I think that would have been my fourth or fifth year, and then. Yeah, and so I made my the Fichu team in my fifth year, and that kind of opened the door to like, oh wow, like you get to travel a ton with volleyball, and so like that was like another experience where I was like, oh, like maybe I could same thing like be on the A team, and so like each summer was just like, okay, I'll go back to national team and I'll try out, uh, and it wasn't till my fifth year when I was like deciding, okay, what career do I want? Or should I continue with uh, volleyball? Like is pro even an option? Like at the time I did not think pro was an option, even though I had been on the national team for two years. Yeah. So in my fifth year, the summer I was graduating, I got a call from Lupo, the national team coach at the time in Winnipeg. And he was like, Kristen, like I, one of our liberos has just um, quit and we have a spot, like, would you want to come for a tryout? And I was like, uh, 
Sure. And he's like, we're going into an Olympic qualifier and we need a libero. <laughs> and he's like, you're on my long list. And he, so, like, literally, I was like, when do you need me out there? He's like, when can you be out there? I was like, three days. So I literally booked a flight and I was out there, like, packed everything up and headed to Winnipeg. And then I think a month later, like, I was playing along Genie, and like that was mind-blowing to me that all of a sudden I'm just like on the A-team so like another door was open and I was traveling to Mexico for like my first Olympic qualifier I think it was like that pre-Olympic qualifying tournament and it was this feeling kind of like back to Trinity Western when like everybody was so bought in and was like I don't think I'm going to be playing in this tournament but I'm ready to go on and it was like what how can I like best do this role that I'm in right now and so I was just like this little fiery player that I was just like cheering my butt off and finally I was in like this position where I'm not starting but I'm kind of just like my sister at Trinity Western, like I can just see her on the bench and she was just so bought in. And I was like, that's what I'm going to be like in this position. And so like whatever role I was given, I'm like, I'm going to do the best I can. Yeah. So that was kind of like my, another door open to me going to play pro. I stayed at the full-time center in Winnipeg for that year because no contract was coming up but I had the opportunity to train with the national team in that Olympic qualifying year. Nothing was coming up. And then the next year was kind of like, okay, should I move on? And then a pro contract, my first pro contract in Romania came up. So I was like, oh, like Romania wasn't my first option for sure. I was like, well, nothing else is coming up and how bad can it be? (laughs) So (laughs) I took it like, so excited for my first pro contract and then Romania hits and I'm like ah! <laughs> it was Romania was definitely eye-opening yeah let's let's go there so what was eye-opening was it just the culture like what were you in a big city small city did your coach speak English like what were all the little things that go into your, your first pro experience yeah I did not think really pro was an option and then when Romania came up People were like, ah, it's Romania. Like, they hadn't heard, like, great things. So there is, like, a little bit of fear when I was, like, making that decision. of like, oh, like, what am I getting myself into? But it was a bigger, bigger city in Romania. It was kind of a university city. I think it might be, I don't want to give a stat, but it was, like, maybe a, a third biggest city in Romania. So university city I was like okay like there's got to be like safe there so I was making this decision and then like okay I'm gonna go I'm gonna do it and then probably a week after I had decided to go there Alicia Perrin calls me and she's like I just got offered to play on the same team as you and that was like all of a sudden my excitement level for my first pro contract went from like here to like out of this world I was like oh my gosh like at uh, Alicia and I sorry Alicia and I 
played uh, Fichu games together. And after our last match, Ryan Hofer was also my coach for Fichu games. And after our last match, Alicia just cried. We just cried and we're like, this is going to be our last game together. And then two years, two years or a year later, Alicia is calling me being like, we're going to be playing pro together. <laughs> so that was kind of like the step, like the seal of that. Like now I was going to be comfortable because I had another teammate to go with. But yeah, Romania was interesting. Our coach didn't speak any English, which was very difficult. There, there was a few girls on that team that spoke some English and so like that would be kind of like the translate like they would translate for us but at the same time when you're kind of in a practice you're not like stopping to be like can you translate what he would say so you kind of just like have to hop on the cord and like hope that you're doing what he's telling you to do (laughs) yeah he was definitely a tough coach like he would yell and I was actually kind of thankful that I couldn't understand what he was saying <laughs> there's I'm a pretty energetic player and I kind of like to lighten the mood with laughing or smiling and I remember this one moment and I I think we're losing this match and I kind of I'm trying to like brush it off like I'm trying to like change my like mindset so I smile running off the court and he starts yelling at me and one of the girls uh romanian girls is translating and she's like if you like if you smile one more time i'm going to sew your mouth shut (laughs) (laughs) this girl is like this romanian girl is trying to translate and try to keep up and all of a sudden she like i'm gonna stop translating and she's like, just keep doing what you're doing. Like, you're doing really well. And he's just yelling at me. And he thinks, like, she's translating. And she's like, oh, I'm like, you're doing really well. Keep up the good work. <laughs> and yet this Romanian guy, coach, is just yelling at me. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's pretty funny. Oh, man. So with with volleyball contracts, most people get a one deal at a time, right? So... With you going through that experience, were you hoping just to get some solid game tape and some pro experience and then start looking elsewhere? Or how did you finally land? I believe you played for three different countries so far, right? Yes, I did. So how do you weigh certain options? Because obviously you get an offer to go to Romania. If it's your only offer and you really want to pursue it, obviously you're going to take it. But when you're kind of climbing the ladder and getting more national team experience and more pro experience, how have you found a way to weigh different experiences about certain leagues or certain countries or or just certain things you look for when you get a pro offer from a club? Uh, I think at the time as a libero, you don't, to be honest, you don't get many offers and so when one comes onto your table or across your table you you almost just need to take it and that was kind of like my mentality when something when uh experience or like something popped up I didn't often hesitate on it just because like that was at that time was something I wanted to do and so and I definitely somebody who was like I can make the best out of any situation and like how bad can it really be yeah and it was like I considered um, money and 
money a little bit, but I really wasn't playing for the money. And then, yeah, kind of I had agents. I had a couple different agents, but I didn't want to sign with anybody because you're an agent for a libero isn't necessarily like looking super hard. So I had a couple working just kind of behind the scenes. And if something came up, then they would send it to me. I didn't, yeah, often get a couple contracts that I had to decide between. Is it fair to say for a foreigner, the libero is probably the toughest position? Like I'm thinking if I own a professional team and I only have so many foreigner spots, you're probably looking at a banging right side who can get you some points or maybe a left side who can pass more than their share of the court and score in different situations, right? Like for you to get a libero offer in a country that has foreigner limits, it can be pretty challenging, right? Yeah, it can. I, I think it is pretty tough for a middle as well to get it, but that was always like my thought is it is tough because so when an offer came like came to me or I was given a contract I often if it was something I wanted to do I didn't pass up that opportunity because I wasn't sure if another one was going to come nice so you're you're gathering this pro experience and you're still around the national team and obviously you going through two Olympic cycles and three different coaches. One thing that always comes up in pro sports is when they get a new coach, oh, they want to change the culture. But I'm wondering with you and your experience and even the tryouts, I don't think the women's culture needed to be blown up, right? Like I think there were some good things happening. Obviously the results weren't coming, but can you maybe point out some things that the team was doing under Lupo and Marcello that you're still doing under Tom? Because I think the core is still kind of there and there were some good things happening. It just proofs in the pudding we weren't getting the results and getting those Olympic qualifiers, right? Uh, like we had a lot of really good athletes throughout the each kind of season that I was with the national team. Like <laughs> Marcello coming in was like, I need to blow this program up for this program to be successful. Like he, yeah, he did come in and was like, we need to do everything different. Like you guys are like way too nice to each other and so it was kind of like the he wanted us to be like a little bit grittier and so I think there was he was a great coach like he was a great coach in the fact that he knew volleyball like so well but it was like the culture part of it that didn't quite work for uh, our Canadian culture Again, shifting to what Tom Black's doing and Tom Black being a big growth mindset and a big principle of that philosophy would be, we're going to learn and learning requires mistakes and we're not going to light you up when you do make a mistake, right? So was that just a relief that you could still add this this grit and this toughness that the program had wanted to build with this attitude that, you know, we're going to try a few different things and learning is now our focus versus don't make mistakes because you're going to get lit up? Totally. And I think that was the big thing we were missing is like, creating this atmosphere and environment where it was kind of like that safe place to make those mistakes yeah tom tom black is has really like taken our program to the next level for sure and in your own words i'm really curious because this has led to a lot of good stories with you with autumn or brie or sarah and all the other players jen cross like 
when Tom got there, everyone, I think when you're in a calm space and you're in a meeting room, the growth mindset is a great idea and everybody loves it. But then when you go out to the session and you're bad, like they're asking you to do things you haven't done before and they're changing technique and you know in your mind you're a professional athlete, but you're not getting the results. How did you face that where you knew you were going to have to be bad for a certain amount of time before you could ramp it up and be good again, but you didn't know it was going to be that bad, right? Like how did you deal with the, the changes and the mistakes that were happening during training? Because it had to be frustrating for a lot of people right for sure it was frustrating especially at the beginning when you're you just want to be good like you're I know that I'm good and so at first it was frustrating and then that was kind of like the reason why like I feel like Tom and our supporting staff was so good because they didn't even they don't focus on the results of that and so when you uh, buy into that and you start trusting that oh like they're not they're not looking for you to be good right now like we have this period of time where we are trying to get better and so you kind of just have to trust the process where it was like okay like keep doing what they're asking of you or keep trying that thing and eventually you're gonna get there and so it was frustrating for sure trying to learn what they were asking you but it was yeah you just had to buy in and trust that what they were saying was going to make you better and at at this point in the program are you are you behaving the same way when you enter the program like do you still have the same excitement or do you start to carry yourself with the attitude that you are an a-team athlete like how has your own personal development changed with volleyball canada over your career uh i think like now that i'm a little bit more experienced I've always had the mentality of like every practice like I have something new to learn or I can be getting better so I feel like that hasn't changed but I've got a little bit more confident and more of a leader where like I can carry myself using my like individual or using my uh, traits like I have something to offer Uh, my teammates or this program and I as like a young athlete I don't think I was necessarily like didn't necessarily have that mindset so I was more lacking leadership coming into the program yeah and to build on that so you going into your second Olympic qualifier obviously the first one you mentioned you just wanted to be positive to be around and build and be a really good teammate now going into the second one did you feel the need that you had to contribute and like you said you're there to offer something like was the the mood going into the second chance to qualify through Norseka totally different for you? Uh, absolutely. Yeah, I, yeah, being an older athlete, I kind of went back to that mentality of like everybody has a role to play on this team. And so, and everybody is almost a leader on this team as well. And so when you, yeah, I had this feeling that I knew my role and like that was going to help the team. Nice. And and what were the talks with the team? Like, how did Tom and the other coaches frame it that we're getting off the plane and we're going to the Olympics, right? Like, what was the goal setting like going into that tournament? Because I think it's exciting for the women's program that that felt like the the best shot we've had in a few cycles, right? It was a good time for the program. So when the roster's announced and the prep starts for that specific tournament, what was the training environment like? Uh, It was super focused. Like, we, it was like a pretty unique team because 
we had just felt like it, same thing like we were everybody we had done all those little steps like all that little frustration at the beginning when you weren't good like the beginning of this summer was now like we had worked our butts off to get to that point or it was like you went through that frustration and you overcame that those little things to be where we at are at now and it was kind of like we were all on the same page going into that qualifier yeah, and just kind of take us through the first game, because obviously a, a tough battle and, and you drop it in five. So what were the emotions going into there? Because to me, you guys just didn't lay down and die. And I think that showed when you guys were able to respond and take down Mexico on the last day, right? So what was the the mood before the game? And then kind of take us through the game of, of everything that's happening at that level with so much on the line. Yeah, that's, uh, we knew like that first uh game was we had to put everything out everything that we had on that court and so it was really disappointing when we did lose that first match but it was like still we weren't just like giving up on the um next matches i guess we still just had that mentality where it's like we are a different team than we ever have been and so like we need to show that kind of thing like we just wanted to show kind of like the world that we were a different team than we ever have been and so i think that was kind of our mentality is like we still had something to prove and we wanted to show that and so like going into that last the mexico game i think we were all we still felt like that disappointment that we have like could have been better and so we kind of just wanted to show that in that last match and, and obviously the national team's experience a bit of a, a pause right now but how have you guys dealt with the break are you still meeting um when we had lane on the show she was fired up to get ready for a talent show you guys were organizing like it sounds like the team's still together even though you're not in the gym right yeah we are so we have like group chats and uh, different meetings like we have been working on more of our mental side of things with our sports site and then we still have our like workout programs and kind of like the side the side of things like rehab that you usually don't get with when you're like full in on the national team like with or full sorry full in in a summer where you have all these competitions like I think this pause in the national team has kind of given us almost like a break where we can focus on more of those little things that we didn't get to focus on but yeah I'd say we're still all fairly connected Nice. And then just to jump a little bit deeper into your position, one thing I find fascinating with your style of play is, like you said, you're you're a high-energy player and, and you want to bring the team up, but I almost compare libero to being like a goalie in other sports where you don't have that, that physical outlet to do certain things, right? Because you're not scoring points. You just kind of have to take over with your first touch and be almost, I don't know, relied upon, but you're not supposed to make mistakes, right? So how have you found the balance of you're going to bring energy and you're going to be positive on the court where you can't go get a block, you can't serve an ace, you can't get a big kill where you're just relied on to do so much and really you get the most attention when you're not performing, right? Yeah, yeah, that's a exactly it i think as i've gotten old like more experienced 
uh, it was kind of, I knew what my role was and I knew that I could be contributing to my team as that like higher energy player. Like that's what my team kind of expected from me. And one of the questions that I asked Tom this summer was like, how can I be the best libero? And he was like, you could be having a bad passing game, but you could still be having a great game by contributing, like communicating. Like I'm running that back, the back court, and I'm like that back court captain. Like I'm still leading the team. So even if I am having a bad passing game, like my team, I'm not scoring the points. Like my team is still relying on me in other ways. And so I think that was kind of like my mentality switch. Whereas like, I don't need to put so much pressure on myself just because one part of my game isn't going well. And with the the coaches you had, whether it was through club or with Medicine Hat and Ryan and, and Benjo and Tom with the national team and everybody else you've worked with, has that been something you've been entrusted with that you can tell the blockers, hey, we're going to shift here or on service Eve, you can say, hey, everybody take one step to the left. Like, does that information typically come from the bench or have coaches kind of empowered you to be the, the tactical leader out there as well? Like what kind of communication things are you focusing on when you're really buzzing and being the high energy player you are? Uh, yeah, through, we kind of like know what our system is. And so, yeah, I you kind of know exactly where you're supposed to be and you're communicating to your, or I'm communicating to my blockers, like where they should be or like if they can like move in a little bit or where I'm going to be. And I think that's like more of the communication is just like letting them know that like I've got their backs or like I'm looking at my hitter. Like I actually am not even looking at where my block is. Like I'm, my eyes are already on where that hitter is because like that's yeah kind of my job is I don't care where that block is because that was kind of like yeah more Ben Joe's thing this past year was getting my eyes on my hitter early and if my blockers are doing their job like that's all they like that's how it should be like then you're almost like trusting each other yeah, if you don't mind, just take us through your eye work. So your team just bombed a serve in. So after the pass is up, where do your eyes go, and how early are you getting on the hitter? Uh, as soon as I can. So it's like passes up. You already kind of know. You'll see where that pass is going, and then kind of where that, like a brief second on the setter ball, and then like instantly on my hitter, my hitter's arm, actually. And like that's... And that it hasn't been easy to do because you almost like you're kind of caught following where that ball is. But as soon as you can get, I can get my eyes on that hitter is it makes me stopped in the right spot. And then you can, I'm reading that game so much better than I ever have been. I think that was like one of the biggest things I was working on this summer was like how fast and early can I get my eyes on that hitter's arm nice and then once it's there like once you really get a good look at it is it really just a body language tell that you can identify roll shot tip hard driven like are you even looking for line and cross like when you're really dialed in on this how many details are you picking up yeah it's for sure just reading their reading their arm swing like I 
already in the spot like if they're going to be hitting a deep cross like that's like I'm already in the spot so I am just reading kind of the speed of that hit and you're almost running down those like tips and those roll shots yeah and then how much advanced scouting do you do or do you like to just be free and really watch the setter and get to the hitter like if they were to tell you in rotation one they're going to set the p1 on the right side i don't know 45 percent of the time are you letting your mind wander there that you want to get out early to them or are you really playing every play like it's got its own identity and own history a little bit of both i'm definitely a player that like we scout like crazy so like we do know like hitter tendencies and like which rotation this player like might do this or like a certain shot and so you kind of have that in the back of your mind but I'm definitely more of a player like in the moment kind of reading and I think that would be one of my strengths would be reading the game and in it- the moment more than scouting is there any eye work you do on serve receive as well, or is it just getting everybody organized? Like, if you know somebody likes to float serve from one to one, like, are you automatically moving everybody to the right? Are you calling right seams? Like, how much are you relying on what the tendency is versus like being in that moment as well? Uh, so yeah, we scouted all of the servers going into a match, and but we do have like our initial base position, and you kind of you'll like cheat a little bit to their tendencies but like we were so dialed in as a team and I think my job as a look barrel was to kind of make sure everybody was in that initial spot but you you know exactly like my deep left and short right was kind of like that was your that was your ball and yeah that was kind of your job was like letting the players the other players know on your team like what the tendency of that server was and so you would just kind of like share that information because that was like my job to do that and how important is the communication when the ball's in play like if if autumn's i don't know in, in position four and she's pushed back to serve receive if it's coming right at her are you saying autumn in like are you communicating with her right away or is it up to her to call the ball like how much is that off ball communication happening when the ball's in play constant like i'm letting her know like the furthest person away we would say is the loudest person like you're calling uh if that ball's short or deep like you're giving like those little details because then when the ball's like right on you it is hard for that person to know exactly like the depth of that ball and so that is like one of the our same thing like we were working on communication all summer as like a national team like that was one of our main focuses of like you can be helping anybody on that team even if you're not touching the ball and as a player how helpful is that for you when you're the one being targeted and receiving because i think this is one skill in our sport where coaches will harp on it but i I think it's hard to uh, get the athlete to understand the value of doing this like when you're the off-ball player doing these things so how have you experienced it helped you in your serve receive game I think it kind of keeps the team connected. Like when you are being served and you still hear like your team is like communicating where that ball is. Like I think it makes like the world of a difference. Nice, nice. And and be honest with this last question here. 
the libero role has been split and now you're either a defending or a service libero. To me, it was already specialized enough. How have you found it being split in half? Because there have been some matches where you've played and you're either in one role or the other. So how have you responded to not being like a full-time libero, but having it split into each situation? Uh, at first, like I didn't love it. But then, yeah, the last few summers, Jesse and I have just, I think we've really used our strengths and so I was more the defensive libero and I absolutely loved it because I could come on and off the court and I could be like that energizing like my role as a defensive libero was like that bringing energy on to the court and so I could just come on like I was kind of on the fortunate <laughs> I like to be the defensive libero because as soon as like we lost the point I was off and Jesse was on and she was like that more like the more focused like dialed in player to those details so she was using her strengths as a serve receive libero and I was using my strengths where I just got to come on and like make it like make a dig and kind of bring that energy on the court so we in the last like couple of years we really bought into uh using that um double libero system yeah you're right it does require a different mindset right because if you're the service receive libero you almost want to be in and out and like one and done the whole game versus it, like you said if you're the defensive libero you're almost commission based where you want to get digs you want to get stops you want to stay out there as long as possible right so it is a different mindset or energy that really goes into it if you break it down yeah, definitely. And it, it did really work for us in the last, this past summer. Nice, nice. So with this pause going on, it sounds like you've got an awesome side project on the go. So what can you tell us about Evolve Volley and how you've built that program and who you're working with and all that went into that? Kind of, yeah, being back in Calgary, I'm, I'm always somebody that wants to um, build into the community and for me, like sport has got me or has, yeah, I've been fortunate enough that sport has taken me so far in life. And so coming back into Calgary, I was chatting with um, a really good friend of mine, Megan Naj and teammate. And so we just kind of wanted to start uh, coaching and getting more involved in the community. So we started Evolve Volley. And originally it was kind of just to get back into the smaller communities where we were both small town athletes. And we kind of just started running a few clinics uh, here and there. And so, yeah, she was kind of more, when she was in Calgary, we were able to run a couple of clinics. And then in Toronto, she's been able to offer some individuals. And I think, yeah, now that COVID kind of hit, we obviously weren't able to do that. So now with everything kind of opening back up, I think we'll for sure be able to get some more coaching in. Nice. I can edit this part out if it isn't determined, but have you signed a pro contract for next year? Are you returning to Finland or is that still up in the air? No, I actually, this was kind of going to be my last summer. Oh. So, yeah, I'm uh, retiring, which is actually kind of hard to say <laughs> i decided uh yeah i this was going to be kind of my last season with the national team uh before the qualifier i decided not to take a pro contract 
which yeah was a pretty tough decision but I kind of wanted just to focus on the national team and then yeah that was gonna be it (laughs) wow there were so many life decisions that went into this qualifier like when we had Brie on the show she mentioned she gave up a year of university to go play pro to then help team Canada more right so it sounds like the whole team bought in and, and made some really tough life decisions right yeah, absolutely. I think that was one of the reasons uh, at the time that I didn't want to go play pro is because I felt like I could still get or kind of get to the level that I needed to be at for the qualifier. And I felt like I would be fresher going into the qualifier than if I went to a pro team, which that's for sure different for every athlete. But that was just my thoughts at that time. Are you okay if we leave this in? Is this considered breaking news right now? Uh, no, you, yeah, we can leave it in for sure. <laughs> but yeah, it was, it's for sure, it was super disappointing because this was going to be my last summer playing national team. And it was kind of being a part of the team that qualified for Nations League for the first time in a long time was yeah kind of exciting to know that I was helping the or yeah I was a part of that for the program and I'm like so excited for the program and the direction it's going in but yeah kind of making that decision to retire and kind of move on to different things is kind of where I'm at right now. Uh, You can can leave it in for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. We're breaking stories here. This is good. Yeah. (laughs) Well, awesome. It was great to learn about your career and what you accomplished in college and university and obviously with your pro career and everything you've given to the national team over two cycles. But one thing we always try to end every episode is just a funny story. So we've learned about your career and all that you've accomplished. But being a a pro volleyball player, I imagine there were some situations that popped up here and there that just are good for a laugh. So can you just tell us one more great story before we let you go? Yeah, for sure. There's definitely so many stories, but, and I do have short-term memory, but (laughs) (laughs) uh, this past summer, it's so interesting going into uh, different countries and kind of just seeing, like, the different styles of gyms. Like, we were definitely, like, we are very fortunate in Canada, but kind of two, I think it was Peru, one, one I dove. And I feel like my hand go into like something, just this gross feeling, this wet thing on the floor. And it was bird food. And just before that, we had like a bird like flying around and I pause and I'm like looking at my hand and my team thinks that I've hurt myself. And I just come and I'm like, no, like I need, I just need hand sanitizer. <laughs> but everybody's just so worried <laughs> that I, had hurt myself that it was just dope into bird film. <laughs> that was one thing. And then in this past qualifier in Dominican, I think we were even playing Dominican. And it starts, I slipped during this one play. And all of a sudden I can feel it's like raining on the court. I'm like, and then one girl's about to hit a ball and she's slipping. And I look at the ref and I'm just like, it's raining. And the ref is just like looking at me and the, my teammates are 
but it's literally raining on this like one spot on the court and nobody's even like sees it and all of a sudden I'm just like it's literally raining on the court like we have to stop this like point and my teammates are just like looking at me like what are you talking about? <laughs> but I think it was like Alicia. She's like, I literally thought you were just arguing this point. And I'm like, no. <laughs> it's just, yeah. The gyms and stuff that you play in are so interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's good to remember that because a lot of our beach players tell funny Norseka stories. And I think it's good to experience but it shows you how lucky we are too coming from like the canadian sports system and everything that everything has like a standard where other countries aren't as lucky and it it does create some funny stories but again the flip side showing how lucky and you know we've benefited from a good sport program here i think totally yeah that's definitely it yeah you've never played a university game with a bird in the gym i don't think no i haven't i think i it might have been jen cross but yeah she got same thing, like pooped on by a bird, and <laughs> like right before a match, and it was just like so bad. <laughs> oh man! Well, thank you for coming on and taking the time and, and sharing all that you did. So, I think your website's super simple, right? Evolvolley dot com. Yes. Perfect. Yeah. And if anybody uh, does just want to contact me, like feel free to message me. Definitely looking forward to just connecting with uh, younger athletes and if they have any questions about pro or university or anything like that, don't hesitate to reach out. Perfect. Is that just through Instagram is probably the best way to get a hold of you? Yeah, for sure. Perfect. We will tag that. Awesome. Well, thanks for taking the time and sharing all that you did. Yeah, you bet. Yeah, feel free to edit out anything. And if we need to redo this completely, then great. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that's necessary, but yeah, thank you.